As you're seated, please open up your Bibles, and we're going to look today at Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, then you can get one of those black Bibles that's on the end of each pew, and it's on page 940 in that Bible. And if you don't have a Bible at all, then take that Bible home. It's our gift to you. You can keep it. It is not stealing. We want you to have it. All right? Um, Let's read together this passage, Romans 2, verses 6 through 11, as we are continuing through the book of Romans, verse by verse. He, that's God, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. When we uh, first moved to Colorado, before we moved to New Jersey, uh, the house that we lived in there for five years had this strange plant in the back when we first moved in kind of a twisted looking thing, almost like a giant weed. We didn't know what it was, but really quickly after we got there, our next door neighbors came over and said, you need to make sure you don't cut that down because it doesn't look like anything right now, but it is a, blue, it is a blackberry bush. And they apologized to us that before we moved in, they had come and harvested all the blackberries off of it. But they wanted us to know for sure That plant is good. It's important. And sure enough, when the time came around, that plant that looked so weird and ugly grew these beautiful blackberries, way, way more than we could possibly use. We were giving them away. Micah was making cobblers out of them, all kinds of stuff, and it was delicious. It was amazing. And what happened is that these were blackberry bushes all along. Before you ever saw any fruit come onto the vine, it was always a blackberry bush at root. And because it was a blackberry bush, it made blackberries. It sounds pretty simple, right? Well, what would happen if it were not a blackberry bush at root? It would not make blackberries. Here's the thing. Nothing but a blackberry bush can grow blackberries. And everything that is a blackberry bush will grow blackberries. Listen to this. No one but a Christian can do works that are righteous before God. When I say Christian, I'm not talking about people who call themselves Christians, although real Christians call themselves Christians. I'm talking about those who have been born again from the heart to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. No one but a Christian at root can do fruit that pleases God. But everyone who is a Christian in heart will do works that are pleasing to God. That's what we're going to see in this idea of the judgment that is coming. In the context of God's perfect judgment, God's impartial judgment toward all mankind. Now, I want us to think about what's coming around this. We don't want to just isolate the verses that we read. If we only isolated the verses that we just read, if those were the only verses that we had, 
we might come away today with the impression that you could go to heaven by doing good works. And that's not what this is teaching. It's not what it's teaching at all. The entire section from Romans chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through Romans chapter 3, verse 20, the whole thing is making it very, very clear in lots and lots of ways that every single human being stands condemned in their sins before God apart from the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, received by faith in Jesus. This is part of that argument to show us that all mankind stands condemned before God until we come to faith in Jesus Christ, at which point we are free and forgiven. That's what it is. And in particular, this chapter is showing that the Jewish people are also in need of that forgiveness, that no one is exempt by being among the Jewish people, as he has gone through in chapter 1 and talked about the Gentile pagan nations and the way that they wander so far away into idolatry and wickedness. He comes around in chapter 2 and says, Do you think that you are exempt, O man who judges? You who call yourself a Jew, as he says in verse 17, and yet rely on the law and boast in the work of God, and and yet you're sure that you're a guide to, to the blind, but you do the same things that you teach against. He is saying, regardless of whether you are among the Jews or the Gentiles, that all mankind stands condemned by the law and must be saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And we've extended that to say this is not just something that we can apply to the Jewish people, but to those even who grew up in church who would say to themselves, because I am among this Christian people, because I was born in a Christian family, because I was raised in a Christian church, then I have this advantage over the rest of the world. Well, there are certain advantages because you have the Word of God preached to you so clearly. I hope. I hope you're hearing. But you don't have an advantage before God at the day of judgment to stand and say, but I considered myself a Christian. But I, I grew up in church but I called myself a Baptist, but I went through the motions. That's not the case. And so that's what this passage is about, is God's impartial judgment, his perfect judgment toward every single human being. Now, as we look at this passage, if you're following along on the outline of my sermon that's on the back of your bulletin, you'll see that normally where we go, you know, if, if we're going verse 6 through 11, we'd go verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, verse 9. It's a little weird today, and I'll tell you why it's weird, all right? It's because these verses are set up in a pattern that's called chiasm. If you've never heard that word before, that's okay. But this is a pattern that uh, all, the, all across the Old and New Testament, the authors of the Bible seem to like this kind of pattern. It's called chiasm because you've got the Greek letter chi, or key as it's sometimes called, and it looks like an X. And if you look at an X, you'll notice that it's a mirror image on the top and on the bottom. It's like if you put a mirror right across the middle, the top looks the same as the bottom. That's what a chiasm is, and that's what you've got here. Verse 6 looks like verse 11. Verse 7 looks like verse 10. Verse 8 looks like verse 9. So you have the teaching here that's in verse 6 and verse 11 mirroring each other about God being an impartial judge, rendering to each one according to his works, for God shows no partiality. And then you come in a little bit from that, you know, Closer in, the vegetables on the sandwich, you might say. 
There's the bread, and then there's the vegetables. Verse 7, you have the reward for the righteous. In verse 10, you have the reward for the righteous. And then you go into the middle, the ham and the ham sandwich. Even though I guess this is, maybe he wouldn't have presented it that way since this is a chapter written to the Jews. But in the middle, verse 8 is the punishment for the wicked. Verse 9 is for the punishment for the wicked. So that's why we're going to lay it out this way. That's why we're going to look a little bit out of order. And weirdly, it's just because that's how it's been laid out as a mirror image of these verses, a chiasm. But let's talk, first of all, about the first thing that's laid out for us here. The first and last verses that mirror each other about God's impartial judgment in verse 6 and verse 11. It says in verse 6, He will render to each one according to his works. And it says in verse 11, For God shows no partiality. What does that mean? God will render to each one according to his works. Well, Paul is here quoting the Old Testament. And he's using words that are a direct quote from two different verses in the Old Testament that are worded almost exactly the same. Proverbs 24.12 says, Will he not repay man according to his work? And then Psalm 62.12 says, For you will render to a man according to his work. So Paul is essentially citing chapter and verse and saying here, Look in your Hebrew Bible. He's saying, look here, and you can see, O you who would consider yourselves to be exempt from the judgment of God because you are among the Hebrew nation, you can see in your Hebrew Bible that it says, he will render to each man according to his works, for God shows no partiality. And that kind of teaching is shown similarly throughout the Old Testament. Jeremiah 17 says, uh, verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give Every man, according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Ecclesiastes 12, 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And I could go on. Many, many, many other similar verses in the Old Testament. But some of you are thinking to yourselves, well, that's the Old Testament. The Old Testament is all about works, and the New Testament is all about faith. Well, Listen to this, Matthew 16, let's go to the New Testament, Matthew 16, verse 27, out of the lips of Christ, our Redeemer. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Let me say, well, that's a one-off, let me read you another one. John 5, verse 28 and 29, again, out of the lips of Christ, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Okay, what about the rest of the Bible? 1 Corinthians 3.13, this is a passage that's addressed specifically to believers in the Lord Jesus. It says, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And again, 2 Corinthians 5.10, also addressed to believers in Christ, he says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There is a day coming for each and every one of us 
where all of our deeds, whether good or evil, all of the secret thoughts of the heart, all of the words that we have spoken in private will be proclaimed on the housetops, as Jesus says. All of our works, whether done in open or whether done in secret, will be out for all to see, every last one of us. It is the case. The New Testament teaches it. The Old Testament teaches it. But the question automatically pops up for us who believe, is this saying that we will be saved by our works? The answer is no. Let me explain that. Because again, we don't read these verses disconnected from the rest of the, the, the book. The end of the argument, the argument that he's making goes all the way through chapter 3, verse 20. And in chapter 3, verse 9, he says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Listen to this. No one does good, not even one. Do you hear that? What he is pointing out here is that apart from the redemption of Christ, that day of judgment will be a day of condemnation, a day of wrath and fury for everyone who is relying on their own works. If we are judged strictly by our own works, we will be condemned. But there's good news. There's good news, even for us who have broken the law. And by the way, you have broken the law. Let me back up there just a little bit. Before I get to the good news, let me drive home that bad news. I'm going to drive it home again later. But you think to yourself, well, this is, maybe this is saying that God's judgment day is like a scale. This is an Islamic doctrine, but it's also just a human flesh doctrine, that we all kind of think this until we understand the gospel. Maybe God will just weigh our good works versus our bad works. And I just hope that my good works will outweigh my bad works. No, he, he says here, no one does good, not even one. He's already said, no, it's not going to work that way, but he, he makes it more explicit in James 2.10. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. All of it. If you thought to yourself, well, I've got 10,000 pounds of good works over here and maybe like six pounds of evil over here. He says, if you have broken, failed in the law at one point, you have broken the law. You are a lawbreaker. God is a righteous judge. He's not a, he's not a, there is no righteous judge who would judge that way, of weighing the good versus the bad. No righteous judge would do that. We know this. It's kind of obvious. No righteous judge would met, let a mostly good murderer go free. You don't say, well, he, he ran a soup kitchen. Don't worry that he murdered that guy. We'll do, he did so many good things. We're breakers of the law. We're breakers of the whole law. So you need to know that. None is righteous. You also need to know this. This is in your outline too. Christ's works are ours by faith alone. Christ's works are ours by faith alone. Listen to Romans 4 or 5. Again, same book. Same book of the Bible, same line of argumentation, same presentation of the gospel. It says, and to the one who does not work, 
but trusts in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Do you hear that? To the one who does not work but justifies, but, but trusts in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Wow. It happened all the way back with Abraham. Genesis 15, 6. Before Abraham had ever received the circumcision covenant or any of the commands of God about all those things, it says his faith was counted as righteousness. Jesus preached that doctrine from the cross. Jesus preached the doctrine of justification by faith alone from the cross. As he turned to the thief next to him, who had spent his entire life in sin, was dying, being executed for his sin, had before that reviled Jesus on the cross, but God turned his heart, and in his dying moments, he turned to Jesus in faith and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what what did Jesus say to him? No, you will be judged by the totality of the life lived and the weight of your good works versus your evil works. Absolutely not. Jesus preached to him the doctrine of justification by faith alone and said, today you will be with me in paradise. Do you know how that happens? It's because when we trust in Jesus, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. He took our sin on himself and died for it on the cross completely so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For us who believe, he takes the, not even just like a set of good works from some nice person out there, the good works of the Son of God, the righteousness of Jesus, are placed on us, counted to you by faith. Did you know that in the day of judgment, you who believe, the works of Jesus will be counted as yours before the throne of Christ. Your own works will also be displayed. We just read some verses that talked about that. We'll talk about that more in a second. But I want you to know up front that you are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. You will not be saved by your works. And we're going to hold off on that for just a minute and talk about, well, then what does the judgment of the believer mean? What does it mean when we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ? We'll just put a mental bookmark there. We'll come back to it when we get to, to some other verses. But you need to know that every individual, Jew and Gentile, he says in verse 8 and verse 9 to the Jew first and also the Greek, every individual without partiality will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This goes back, this, this idea of God shows no partiality. The Jew first and also the Greek. It goes back to verse 16 of chapter 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Not works, not works of the law, but the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is for everyone. And the judgment is for everyone as well. This gospel that can save everyone is the gospel by which everyone will be judged. If you look down a few verses farther in chapter 2, in verse 16, it says, There is a day coming when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. 
The gospel won't be set aside on the day of judgment. The gospel will be on high display as those who are counted as righteous by faith in Jesus are openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and those who have not believed and obeyed the gospel are counted as the wicked. That's what's going to happen. But it's every individual. It's every individual. This is something that, as he had said in the verse right before this passage, I keep, I'm, I'm trying to keep making you look down into the verses of your Bible with your Bible open. I, I hope you see that. I want you to keep looking at that. He said in verse 5 that there is this day coming, the day of wrath. There is a specific day that he's talking about, this day of coming judgment when he will show no partiality, or when he will show, yes, no partiality. Or as, as, the, as the King James put it, he will not be a respecter of persons. When he gathers the nations before him, when he separates the sheep from the goats, he's not going to say, but we'll just go ahead and take this whole family because they were a great, their grandparents were really good Christians. No, this is every individual. He even drives it home in verse 9. Every human being or every human soul. Everyone. And he's not going to show partiality. There are some who think to themselves, well, you know, I'm, I know, I know I'm not good, but my grandmother prays for me. Glad your grandmother prays for you. She's praying that you'll turn to Christ in faith. There are some who say, well, you know, I, I know that I've got these things, and I know I'm, I'm pretty worldly, but, uh, but I'm a church member. Don't trust in your church membership. Church membership is important. We'll save that for another sermon, but don't trust in your church membership. There, there are some, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about this. If you don't listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones' sermons online, just Google that. You can, he's, he's long gone to be with the Lord, but, oh, love that guy. He talks all the time about how there are people who were born in England who just assumed that they were Christians because they were baptized into the Church of England, because they were English. You can't be saved that way. You know, there's, a, there's even a family in England where, where there is an, an elderly woman whose name is Elizabeth, who is said to be the head of the Church of England. And her son, who I'm pretty sure he's come right out and said that he doesn't even believe in God, is, is next in line to be the head of the Church of England. You can't be saved by being the head of the Church of England. And no offense to my Anglican friends, but that's a terrible way to order a church. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to tell you, there is no category of people that you can count yourself in to say, but not me. I am not among those who will have my works laid bare in the day of judgment. You will. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and the Lord shows no partiality. It says in Job 34, 19, that he shows no partiality to princes, nor regards the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. It doesn't matter whether you say to yourself, well, God has richly blessed me in this life. He must be on my side. You will still stand before God. Or on the other side, some would say, but I've been such a victim in this life. I had so little compared to others. He's going he's gonna to just let me off on the day of judgment. You'll still stand before the judgment seat of God. 
God shows no partiality. It says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That takes us into the punishment of the wicked that's coming in the day of judgment. Look at verses 8 and 9. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. This is the coming day of judgment. Now, there are schemes of theology that are out there that are popular that I, I just... Even studying for this, all the time I find out little things that people believe that I just go, really? People believe that? But I, some of you might have, have really had this driven into you at various points in your life that there, there are these different judgments in the last days. That there is you know, a judgment of the righteous over here, a judgment of the nations here, uh, which is the one I didn't know about until last week. And then there's the judgment of the great white throne, which is just for the wicked in the last day. Guys, the Bible, it's just the judgment. This is the way that the Bible describes it. It is the day of the Lord. It it is the day of the Lord. It is the day uh, that's spoken of in verse 5, on the day of wrath. It's spoken of in the Bible as the great white throne when when Jesus will gather people before him. It's spoken as the day when Jesus will separate people as the sheep from the goats. It's spoken of as the day of the Lord. But this theology that's out there says, well, maybe this is a judgment of the nations, like God is going to say, well, which national group is among the the sheep nations, and which national group is among the goat nations, and maybe Afghanistan was on its way to being a a sheep nation, but now they've plunged back into being a goat nation, and and maybe America was was a sheep nation at its founding, and we don't want it to become a goat nation. Now, God can send temporal judgments on nations. He, he can make things happen as a way of punishing nations in this world. He can send righteous leaders to help those nations. He can send wicked leaders to send punishments on those nations. But when the nations are drawn, or when the nations are brought before the throne of Christ, it's not to separate nation from nation. It's to separate sheep from goats. It is to separate individuals, and that is what this is talking about. He says here in verse 8, excuse me, verse 9, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. Individually. Individually. There is a form of judgment that we're called to exercise in this world. It has to do with church membership and the keys of the kingdom and opening and shutting. Jesus encourages us in Matthew 18 to do that, but that's not a final judgment. That's a, an, a judgment where we can get things wrong about who is and is not in the kingdom. There, there is a judgment of a kind that comes upon everyone's death. It is, it is a secret judgment that's not seen in this world. When you die, you will either go to heaven or to hell. But the world doesn't see that. We sometimes have varying levels of confidence about particular individuals that that person was a faithful believer and must be in heaven or others that we look at and we say, boy, I only hope that they might have believed in their last moments, but it's a private judgment. It's not on display. But one day, and that's the day that this is talking about, it will be on display. This is the day of the Lord. This is the public judgment. 
This is the day of the return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. Both the living and the dead will be judged by Christ. And it will be seen. And on that day, there will be people who we thought absolutely surely that person must be among the righteous who will be cast into the lake of fire. And there will be people on that day who we had thought because we didn't like them or for whatever other reason. Surely that person is among the wicked who will be highly rewarded and sitting in the bosom of Abraham for all eternity, enjoying Christ. Jesus said about that day, there are many who are first who will be last and the last will be first. What this comes down to is not the judgment of man. This comes down to the eternal judgment of God, and it will be made manifest. It will be seen before everyone. And as Jesus does this judgment, this public judgment, Jesus will bring out as the righteous judge all of the evidence, all of the evidence to each one according to his works. Uh, The evidence for the wicked, it says in verse 8, is for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. The evidence that's listed there is evidence of selfish ambition that trades in the truth for unrighteousness. Where it says self-seeking, the translation of that in King James is contentious. It's the same word that goes back in, in verse 29 of chapter 1 where it says that they are full of strife. It's that word for strife. It's that idea of an ambition for self that strives against God. Not the kind of self-seeking where we want to store up treasure in heaven and enjoy Christ forever, but the kind of self-seeking that strives against God's purposes. Tries to overthrow the purposes of God for a person's life. And that kind of self-seeking, selfish ambition, contentiousness, strife, well, where does it go? Well, it is not to obeying the truth. It says they do not obey the truth. What does that mean? It means that they reject the truth of God. This takes us back. As it says, they don't obey the truth, but they do obey unrighteousness. Again, Romans 1.18, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The ungodliness is rooted in the heart rejection of the truth that overflowed in chapter 1 in worshiping all kinds of other things besides God, not submitting to God in the truth. That then overflows in God giving them up to unrighteousness, but the root is ungodliness. The root is ungodliness. Did you know that without faith in Jesus Christ, even the best works that anybody can do are so tainted by sin that they are not acceptable to God. Why would that be? Some of you might have heard the name Robert Hansen before. I'm talking about the Robert Hansen who went to work for the FBI in 1976. And three years after Robert Hansen went to work for the FBI, he approached the Soviets and he offered himself for their help to be a double agent for the Soviets. And he worked for them off and on for about 20 years, sometimes stopping when political things were contentious and he thought he might get caught and then he'd go right back into it. He thought he had himself covered because he had done this in a way where he was anonymous to the Soviets. They only knew a letter of his name. 
Uh, an internet source said that Hansen sold thousands of classified documents to the KGB that detailed U.S. strategies in the event of nuclear war, developments in military weapons technologies, and aspects of the U.S. counterintelligence program. Now, I want to ask you, do you think Robert Hansen tried to appear good at his FBI job? I would guess yes. Somebody in a situation like that, I mean, he's going to really try to stay above board and above scrutiny when he's doing his job in the FBI building. But what's he really doing behind the scenes? He's working for the enemy. And when he goes before the judge, what do you think the judge is going to say? Is the judge going to give him a verdict of not guilty? Is he going to say, well, sure, you did this number of things for the Russians, but when you were in the FBI building, you did great work, and so I think maybe that great work for the FBI outweighs this. Is that judge going to say, absolutely not. Do you know what the judge did? The judge gave him 15 consecutive life sentences, sent him to Supermax Prison in Florence, Colorado, and that's where he still is right now. Now, Will those who fail to come to faith in Christ be judged as good on that great day because they have done good things? Because they have been in church every Sunday for 70 years? Not if they're working for the enemy. Absolutely not. This is what it means when it says that they do not obey the truth. They do not obey the truth. It could be that you are ordering your life in such a way as to do all kinds of, of good things for people that appear good on the outside, even to do all kinds of religious things that appear sincere on the outside. And yet God knows the heart. God knows that you are a double agent for the kingdom of Satan because you have not obeyed the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You do not come before the righteous judge of the universe and say to him, Yes, I rejected you and hated you my whole life, but you should still let me into heaven where Jesus is the main attraction, where adoring him is what it's all about. You should let me in because I did good work as I was opposed to you. Absolutely not. Here's what it says in Romans 14, 23. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Why is that? Because it's being done as a double agent for the enemy. Here's the way it's put in Isaiah 64, 6. We are all as un, an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. You, you can't come before God and say, here's my works, when you haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's filthy rags. But even beyond the ungodly rejection of the truth, it overflows, it says, in obeying, verse 8, obeying unrighteousness. It's just like in Romans chapter 1 where he talked about the pagan Gentile nations all over the world and the natural tendency of the human heart apart from the law and the gospel, apart from all these things, the natural tendency is to worship created things rather than worshiping the creator and then God gives them over to unrighteousness, ungodliness leading to unrighteousness, hearts of impurity, verse 24 of chapter 1, God gave them over in verse 26 to dishonorable passions, verse 28 of chapter 1, God gave them up to a debased mind and to all manner of unrighteousness. And all of that is going to be laid out in the day of judgment. 
the unrighteousness of the deeds, the unrighteousness of the heart. All of it. What's the punishment? That's the evidence that's going to be laid out against the wicked. By the way, all of you were born among the wicked. (laughs) Some of you have been, by God's grace, transferred into the realm of righteousness, to be born again. You were a goat, and God has made you a sheep, and how do you know that? Because you come to faith in Jesus. But for the wicked, those who do not obey the truth of the gospel by which we'll be judged, what happens? Well, it says here, here's what happens. There will be wrath. That's the wrath of God. It is a terrifying hand to fall into the a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It says Hebrews. Wrath and fury and tribulation and distress. The way it puts it in Revelation chapter twenty and twenty one. Being cast body and soul forever into the lake of fire. Having been raised out of the grave, not for a new life, but for eternal punishment that's not just in the soul, but even in the body. The way that it's put in the Baptist Catechism, question 43, what shall be done to the wicked at the day of judgment? The answer, at the day of judgment, the bodies of the wicked being raised out of their graves shall be sentenced together with their souls to unspeakable torments with the devil and his angels forever. But let's think, let's turn our attention to what happens to those who are counted as righteous before God. Introduce that with question 41 of the Baptist Catechism. What happens, what benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? Let, Let me tell you, at the resurrection, I love this, I sing this. I just, I worship with this. At the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment. You hear that, believer? You have Satan accusing you. You will be acquitted in the day of judgment. You will be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and made perfectly blessed both in soul and body in the full enjoyment of God to all eternity. And there's a lot of Scripture references in there, but let's just talk about it in terms of this Scripture right here. Let's look at verse, verse, uh, verse 7. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. Just like there's going to be evidence against the wicked laid out on the day of judgment, there will be evidence for the righteous laid out on the day of judgment. Again, the righteous, who is that? That is those who have the righteousness of Jesus Christ clothed upon them by faith in him. It is the righteous, and the evidence is this. It says, by patience, first of all. That patience, another way to put that is perseverance. That those who truly believe, those who are regenerate, who have actually been born again, they don't believe for a little while and then shrivel up and it's gone, like in the parable of the sower. They they don't seem to be Christians for a little while and then depart from God and from his people, like it says in 1 John 2.19, that those who went out from us were not among us, or went out from among us were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. But the evidence that the righteous are righteous on the last day is they persevered in their faith. And do you know who perseveres in their faith? 
everyone who believes in truth, everyone who has been given the gift of faith by the Holy Spirit, it keeps going. By perseverance, that's part of the evidence. They kept on with Jesus. And by good works. It says, it says there, by patience in well-doing. In well-doing. Now, I've got to be clear here. We're, we're not saved by good works, but believers love to do work for God. We love it. We're not satisfied when we're not doing it. And we are satisfied when we are doing it. And that's to be expected. It says in Titus that Jesus died to redeem for himself a people who are zealous for good works. It says in, in Ephesians chapter 2, right after it says that you can't possibly be saved by your works, it says that we have been saved by his grace so that we will walk in good works, which he prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. And that's, that's just part of being a Christian. Because we have the root. Remember that blackberry bush I told you about? If God has made you a Christian from the heart, if God has given you the gift of repentant faith in Jesus Christ, it will overflow in fruit. You will be one who is zealous for good works, and those will be on display at the day of judgment for the glory of God. Not for the glory of man. I'll get to that in a second. And also, here's part of the evidence too. Eyes on heaven. Look at the way that it's put in verse 7. Who seek for glory and honor and immortality. Those who are lost in their sins, they don't seek for glory and honor and immortality. They seek for things of the world. The lust of the flesh and the pride of possessions and the lust of the eyes. The things that are passing away. But when we come to faith in Jesus, it's, it's like that man who finds a treasure hidden in a field. And you know what he does? He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field to gain that treasure. This is going to be part of what's on display at the day of judgment for the righteous. Is This is a person who had their eyes set on heavenly things and not on worldly gain. Glory and honor and immortality. That immortality, by the way, it has to do not just with living forever, but also with the incorruptibility of the resurrection body. Do you know that one day, a believer, you will be in the new heaven and the new earth. You will stand in the new Jerusalem where the tree of life is growing. You will eat its 12 fruits that it bears in the 12 months. You will have its leaves that are for the healing of the nations. And there will be no more pain, and your body won't fall apart. You will be perfectly blessed in soul and body. Isn't that amazing? It says, set your mind on that. And for those who do that, it says he will give eternal life. Now, does he give eternal life as, as, as like repayment to us for what he now owes to us for what we've done to him? No, that, that's not what it looks like. Let me, let me read you some other stuff about that, that, that the works of believers being re revealed in that day. It, it says in 1 Corinthians 4, 4 and 5, it is the Lord who judges me. This is Paul talking. The Lord judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. By the way, that's, a, that's kind of a call to get things right with God, isn't it? The secret purposes of your heart and the things that you've done in darkness, they're coming out. They will come out. They will be on full display. But listen to this then each one will receive his commendation from God. Believer, on that day, 
on that day, you will receive the commendation of God. Not on the basis of the fact that you were awesome, but on the basis, first of all, of Jesus' righteous works being counted as yours, and then also on the basis that God worked good fruit in your life for his glory. And people will rejoice in God about that for all eternity. There are two things in the Bible about believers that are true at the same time. One is this. One is that for all who believe, God removes all condemnation and gives the full reward of eternal life, and it doesn't lack in anything. It's not lacking for anybody. It says in Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It said in that same chapter, he bestows his riches on all who call on him. It says in Ephesians 1 that that everyone who believes has every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places already secured as ours. Jesus told a parable about workers who worked all day and then some workers who worked one hour and both were given the same reward. And the master who represents God says, I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. It's up to God. And God fully rewards all who believe in him. You will not be lacking in eternity, believer. And the Bible also says this. I think it says this. There's some who disagree, but I think it really says this. That in, in that day, that there's, even with that, there's going to be degrees of eternal bliss that are even greater to some. Jesus talked about the the parable of the ten minus, where one faithful worker is set over ten cities, and one faithful worker is set over five cities. The faithful worker who's set over five cities is not saying, why did he get twice as many cities as me? They're just rejoicing in the master. They're rejoicing. The good works of a believer that result in even greater bliss They don't serve as any kind of a works-based addition to the finished work of Jesus. You know what they do? They are given for the praise of God's glorious grace because God is the one who worked them. Let me read you this. Philippians 2.13. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Believer, if you have something in you that says, I will hold back on good works because I don't want to act like I'm depending on them for my salvation. I have bad news for you and good news for you. The bad news is that you cannot do anything to add to your salvation. But the good news is, believer, that he's already done it all. And when you work, it is God working through you. Be zealous for good works, believer, because they just demonstrate the glory of God. And it's God at work in you. The way Paul put it in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As on that day when God lays out the righteous have been patient in well-doing, it's going to be to the glory of Christ. Because it will be said it was Christ who lived in them. No longer them who lived. Even our works, our believer, even your good works that you do after you first believe, 
as you continue in the Christian life, even your good works are what we call an alien righteousness. It is not your goodness. It is God's goodness displayed through you. That's why God's going to lay it out. That's why God is going to open it up. That's why God is going to give a full commendation for all of the good works of the saints is for the glory of him who did the works in us, who's Christ. And what's the reward that is coming for those who have faith in Christ, who are among the righteous? Well, here's the reward in verse verse, uh, 10. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. He described it a little bit in verse 7 also. He will give eternal life and that glory and honor and immortality. He says that there will be glory. We will be glorified together with Christ, which is not in any way going to take away from the glory of Christ, but I can't wait to see what that's like. There will be glory. There will be honor. There will be peace. And when he says peace, it's not just like you're not fighting anybody. This is complete wholeness and holiness and nothing going wrong forever and ever. And joy and bliss and satisfaction in the face of Jesus. That's what's coming for believers. That's why we can say this, Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. That's why I can say in Ephesians 6, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Or like it says in Colossians 3, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Guys, I got to tell you, I I just had a moment in my office as I was getting this sermon ready. I was reading John Murray's commentary on Romans, and it just struck me in a way that it never has when he, he said something about the dispensing of eternal bliss. And I just said, that's the line I want to be in. (laughs) Every other line for every other thing is going to come to nothing. But by faith in Jesus, we love Jesus. We set our eyes on heaven. We realize that the things of this world are counterfeit and and what's coming is, is real in a way that even the things of this world are not. And we, when you come to faith in Jesus, you are getting in the line for the dispensing of eternal bliss. It is not wrong to want to be happy. And the path to life and joy and peace in eternity is the person of Jesus Christ. And as you come to him daily, we can say, I want to be zealous for good works. I want to be in that bliss line more and more as the Lord is working in me and through me, and I will receive my commendation on that day. Not to add to Jesus' work. We can't do that. But just to enjoy it more and more. Enjoying the finished work of Christ. Be in that line. Be in the dispensing of bliss line. Come to Jesus. Serve Jesus. I want to just finish with this verse from Revelation 22, verse 12. This is at the very end of the Bible. Not quite the last verse, but close to it. Jesus says this. I want you to hear this. Believer, I want you to hear this. Unbeliever, I want you to hear this. 
Believer who sincerely from the heart believes, I want you to hear this, unbeliever who has been trying to do all kinds of works but working for the enemy by rejecting the truth of the gospel, you need to hear this. Believer who has been working zealously for Christ, you need to hear this. Unbeliever who knows that you have been running far from Christ, you need to hear this. Revelation 22, 12, out of the lips of Jesus, behold, I am coming soon. If he comes in 10 minutes, you have been warned. He says, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. Today is the day of salvation, and today is the day to work as for the Lord and not as for men. Let's pray. God, I pray that today that you would grant us to know and to understand these difficult things. God, I, I, I know that even some of the things that we have talked about today are difficult. This is a difficult passage to interpret. There are difficult theological things to figure out here about what hasn't happened yet. And, and so, God, I pray that where I may have gotten things wrong, I pray that you just let those things slip in, out of the memory of, of your people. But, God, I pray that where these words are, are just spoken to us right here in black and white, that you would let these sink down into our hearts. God, I pray that everybody here on that great day would be found to be among the righteous and not the wicked. And we know that we can only be righteous by faith in Jesus. And God, I pray that as those who have faith in Jesus, that you would make us zealous for good works. God, just give us a a perseverance and a seeking for glory and honor and immortality and a love of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.